Hello and welcome to Meet Our Makers. I am your host, Jeremy J. Fissette. On this episode, we get to meet Larkin Grimm. Larkin Grimm is a singer and songwriter and artist currently living in New York, though originally from Georgia. She has released five albums under her own name and has also played with numerous well-known indie rock bands. In this chat, we discuss what it was like growing up musical and queer in the South, as well as what it was like for her when she finally broke free of those restraints. We talk about finding your artistic voice and trusting that artistic voice, as well as shedding what Larkin prefers to call the vampires in our life. So please enjoy, and thank you for listening. This is me meeting Larkin Grimm. Hi, Larkin. Hi, how's it going, Hi, good, how are you? The audio is good. Oh, that's good. <laughs> cool. How are you doing? Um, well, it's just so, it's like so much drama for being stuck at home, you know? I know. Isn't that funny? <laughs> it's so weird. You'd think that everyone being stuck at home would kind of minimize that, but I feel like it's just made new drama. <laughs> yeah. How have you been um, hanging in there with quarantine? Well, I feel really lucky that I am not stuck with anyone annoying during this time. Mm. Just me and my kid who's eight and he's really cute and sweet and just loves to play video games. And mm-hmm. um, we're like, I, you know, it's like I keep wishing that we were doing more creative projects, but I also understand that creativity and stress are like they don't really go together you know like no they don't (laughs) there is this myth of the starving artist you know like that that artists need to suffer in order to create but my personal experience you know with my own work and the work of my friends is you know you need peace and quiet in order to create you need someone else cooking food for you and you need to be able to sit and focus for a long period of time on your project with no interruptions and no worries. Yeah, I know. I agree with that because I feel like there is that myth of, you know, pain and sorrow and suffering being the catalyst for like all the good art. And maybe it is in a sense, but it's harder to create while you're in that I feel like maybe I'll like I've had a lot of trouble I've had a lot of creative block um since this has started and I feel like maybe once it's over and we can start sort of ruminating on how it how it went the whole time and look at the big picture maybe we can create something good out of it but being stressed and being cooped up and like most of my effort right now is going into not not like losing my mind and going stir crazy yeah. So it's not very, um, I don't know, it's not very creatively inspiring right now. <laughs> no, it's not. I think it's, it's putting things into perspective for a lot of people. And I think you're right. People will come out of it 
with deeper insights, you know? I mean, I do think a lot of great artists have suffered. I know a lot of people who've had like terrible suffering in their lives and then they come to a place where they're in a residency or they've got somebody taking care of them and they've got the time and space to just process it and heal from it, you know? Like creativity, I think, is a healing process. Totally. And, yeah, like we are, all, we are all being really wounded right now. I think that it's, oh man, I mean, it's just, there's just so much to be angry about. I know. It's especially, I mean, I'm, I'm living in Harlem. I live 10 blocks away from where they built a field hospital in Central Park. Um, you know, there are rumors of people being buried in the park. There, oh, God. You know, I don't, I don't think, I think that they're actually burying people out on an island. Um, but you know, they, they kind of said to us like, oh, well, we may have to bury people temporarily in the park. So don't be upset if it happens, you know? Yeah. Um, and I live in this co-op building that's, you know, apartments that are affordable for city workers and teachers. So it's lots of, you know, bus drivers and, um, teachers and a few nurses. And, you know, we've had one, one of our elders in the building has died from COVID-19 and she was a really sweet lady. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's very, it's like very close. It has hit our home, you know? Yeah. New York has been hit very hard. I know a few people there. It's not looking too good these days. Yeah. It's sad. It's hard to grapple with too. Cause it's just, it's even if you are in a place like New York where it's, it's one of the, you know, they keep using the word epicenter. It's still hard to grapple with cause it's just so large and we don't know the path it's going to take. We hardly even know the path it already took. So it's a, it's a lot to take in. Yeah. But I'm glad you're hanging in there. I know that's pretty much all we can really hope to do these days. Yeah, I mean, I know how to be a homebody, you know? It's like, I think I'm I'm well positioned for this. But the, yeah, and I, you know, like, I'm doing okay so far. Well, that's good. I know, I'm a homebody too, but I just keep saying like, it's the it's the restriction that makes it so different the fact that i don't have any other option than to be a homebody right now yeah are you there are you sharing your space with anybody do you have roommates or anything i live with my boyfriend so we're not alone at least um and we're not at each other's throats or anything so that's good yeah um he's still going into work unfortunately he um he he works in the office for a healthcare place. So there he doesn't work in the hospital, thankfully, but because they are healthcare related, they had to stay open. So yeah. so he still goes into work and I, I've been working from home. But yeah, I um I have a good home situation. So that's I'm sure that's helping. I can I can only imagine the scores of people who don't and how hard this must be. Yeah. I have some friends who are performers who are in, they're in a poly relationship and they live in an apartment that I think is about 300 square feet. Mm. It's a one bedroom in the West village. They live there with 
grandma who's got Alzheimer's. They've got a daughter who's seven. And then the three of them, you know, like the guy and his wife and their girlfriend, Hmm. all in a one bedroom apartment stuck inside in the West village where there aren't really big parks. You know, I mean, it's like, it's amazing what New Yorkers go through. This is like, I mean, it's just like, it, there's so much going on. Oh my God. It's just yeah. New York for New Yorkers. The city is our living room, you know? And mm-hmm. I was reading this great article that was, man, I wish I remember who wrote it. It was saying that the city is our husband or our wife, you know, like the city is your partner in that the city will wash your clothes for you and cook your meals for you and provide you with inexpensive like access to people who will come and clean your apartment if you need it. So feminism really has like thrived in cities because traditionally you need a partner to take care of you in order to be able to succeed in, in whatever your career is. But if you live in a place like New York city, you don't need a partner. You can like, you can outsource all of that work. Hmm. And so for women, you know, and mothers, especially, I think it's like really like, it's devastatingly anti-feminist to this, this pandemic, you know? Yeah. I'm like a housewife right now. You know, I've got my friends calling me up, you know, like sending me, music my drummer has sent me a few really great tracks to work on and i've managed to to do a couple of recordings but i'm just like okay in between piles and piles of laundry and cooking three meals a day and being the full-time homeschool teacher for an eight-year-old and then you know dealing with all of the all of the other like business stuff that i have to deal with it's it's not like I've got any extra free time. Yeah. That's kind of the other part with, even if it were creatively stimulating to be in this scenario, so many people, I'm guessing like yourself as well, just when would you even act on that? You have so much other stuff to do. Yeah, it's kind of like the, yeah, it doesn't feel like I have any extra time, but I think it's the moments when I have found myself being creative for just when, you know, when it's like, I need to do this for me. I know that this is a, a calming activity, you know, to sit and play an instrument or to sing. I've got a zoom uh, choir rehearsal every Thursday that is really chaotic and wonderful. Mm-hmm. We figured out we can't, you know, there are 16 women in the choir and we can't, really all sing at the same time because of the lag in the, you know, like the, the internet signal, Mm. it just like throws everything off, off time. Right. But we discovered, you know, we can sing really long tones and we can improvise with each other singing really long tones. And so we have this, this weekly sing that's pretty wonderful. And there's another artist, um, who's got a, a group called voice cult who's been doing these um, like singing meetups. Um, 
that are like super wonderful. She does, she works for the house of yes. Hmm. And, uh, so like I have, I've been meaning to join one of those. It's more for amateur singers, she says, but, um, you know, it's, if you've got time there are like, it's cool that there are all these things out there on the internet you can join. And every night on Instagram, you know, you can watch also, you know, you can watch all sorts of things that I wish were live, have been live streaming this whole time. Like, I know I, I was thinking about that too. Like there is like this, this new bevy of these artists and singers who are just taking an hour of their week or their night to just sing and talk and, it's really nice. And yeah, I kind of wish it had always been there too. Yeah. I could have used all of this. Like when, when I was like pregnant and had an infant I was taken care of and was stuck in the house. That's the time when I felt the most isolated from my artist community. And I really wish that people had been live streaming things. So I could have felt like I could participate. I hope that some of this keeps going. You know? I hope so too. There's a lot of, for all the bad, there has been, you know, a good handful of, of good things to come out of um, humanity and our friends and artists in this time. And I, 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 I hope it continues. Yeah. What else do you, are you hoping will, will come out of this? That could be good. Um, I hope that there's sort of maybe like a increased sense of kindness or personability, because I feel like I've heard that a lot from my friends is like, or coworkers as if they're out, out on a walk somewhere, they've noticed that strangers have been a lot nicer to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just because we're so starved for that connection right now that when you see anyone, you're kind of like, oh, hi. Um, and so I hope that continues. I mean, it shouldn't, it shouldn't take a global pandemic to, to, bring, to bring out the good sides of, of human nature. Um, but if it has brought out it, has it, if it has brought it out a little bit, I hope it stays out. Um, and I was talking to someone else um, for this podcast too, actually, recently, who said she hopes that um, our food game is better when we come out of it because, like, we're being forced to rethink what we eat now since we have to be so picky about it. Mm-hmm. And she was just hoping that maybe we have a, a, a different sort of consciousness about what we take in. Um, what we let into our bodies or even our lives um, that might help because we're cut off from everything that we typically have right now. So maybe, I don't know, maybe we get a better appreciation of those things or cut out the stuff that hurts us more than helps us, you know, stuff like that. I don't know. I just hope it ends soon and I don't know when it's supposed to be done with. I don't know if anyone knows. Yeah. I, had been really, really looking forward to this music festival that happens in Bulgaria just every five years. And it's, it's was supposed to happen this August. And it was like, the basically is the last thing on my bucket list, you know? Mm. And uh, like, I really just was, I love Bulgarian music so much. Have you ever listened to any of the Bulgarian choir stuff? I don't think, I don't think so. Oh, you're in for a treat. You're going to love this. <laughs> you're going to love it. It's, it's incredible music. And um, there's this, this like Bulgarian national state and television choir that put out these records called Le Mystère de Voix Bulgare, volumes one, two, and three. And 
it's just some of the craziest, wildest choral music that I have ever heard. And mm. uh, I've, I've been in love with this music since I was about 20. And I joined a choir when I was at Yale that was singing, it was called the Yale Slavic Chorus. And then, you know, and that music was a huge influence on my music. Mm. And then um, after like, all you know like all kinds of stuff going like going on in the world where i didn't really want to be around any guys yeah <laughs> i just I'm thanks like, for I'm slowly, talking to me by the way <laughs> i'm slowly getting over it um it helps that i have i'm raising a little guy sure so, yeah. um I, I like i just um like i joined this women's chorus and that was so healing for me. So I've, I've been singing Bulgarian music in this women's chorus for a couple of years now. And we were going to perform at the festival. So that's like my, the, I'm really hoping that the world opens up by August, but I am not, I'm not really counting on it. Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of in that mode of keeping my hopes high, but my expectations are almost as low as they can go at this point because... I know everyone keeps rescheduling these tours and these movie releases for the fall or late summer. And I'm just think I just look at them and I'm just thinking, you know, that's to me, that's really optimistic right now. Unfortunately, I, I'll be surprised if we, if we reopen by then, at least totally. Yeah. Um, is the, is the festival rescheduled yet or are they hoping I, that it happens? I haven't heard any news about it yet. Okay. I've been afraid to look, honestly. Yeah, hopefully it's not. Hopefully, if they do reschedule, it's just for next year, and then they they do it four years later, as opposed to like, oh well, we'll just wait five more years. Yeah. Because <laughs> that that would be fun for you to get to go and actually perform in it. Yeah, it's yeah. That's it was like, it's been a lifelong dream just to go to that festival. Hmm. You know? I mean, I I grew up in Georgia. And um, Jeff Mangum from Neutral Milk Hotel is from Athens, Georgia, mm -hmm. which was like the closest cool town to where I grew up. And he somehow got to go to that festival. I don't know how he even heard about it, you know, but <laughs> he went to that festival like, you know, in the late 90s and made all of these field recordings. And they were just mind blowing and so beautiful. And, uh, like and I always wanted to go and is that is that how you first heard about it yeah well I oh, like cool. I kind of it was like around the same time that was the first time I heard about that festival yeah but I had just gotten interested in Bulgarian music and was like oh this like you know not exactly hometown but like Georgia you know like I feel an affinity for any musicians from Georgia um I was like wow this Georgia guy is into this thing too this really obscure music how cool yeah. And it really influenced him too. It's, it's interesting. I mean, it's like, it's folk music that has, you know, it's got like, uh, harmonies that you don't usually hear in Western music. Yeah. And a style of singing that's influenced by Turkish music, but is it, you know, it's, it's its own thing. It's also you know, like influenced by gypsy music as well. Mm -hmm. Um, but, it's i don't know you gotta you gotta like please please listen to these records they're yeah, so I will. 
I am making a mental note. And when I go back and listen to this to, to, to cut it um, to, for release, I'm sure I'll be like, oh yeah. And then I'll um, definitely check that out. Cause I'm always on the hunt for things like that. Just things I haven't, haven't heard anything like before. Although it's interesting that you say or, or, or acknowledge that that type of choir music or chorus music did inspire you as an artist, because I feel like even not having heard Bulgarian music myself, you know, if I look back now, now that I know this, if I look back at your first couple albums, especially Harpoon, I can, I, even without hearing it, I, I can see that because there is sort of this very choral element to many of the songs like this many harmonies sometimes they're a little dissonant they're haunting but it is definitely still folk music yeah i think that's it's um the i love when i listen to a record that gives me permission to do something weird you know mm. it's like when you have like when you have an idea and you're like mm, that idea is a little far out like nobody's going to get that and then you hear somebody who did something weird <laughs> and they did yeah. it really well you know i think it's like that at that time definitely the two biggest influences for me were diamanda galas because of her emotional intensity you know because mm -hmm. she had been like it's like she'd gone to greece and studied with professional mourners you know and she brought like extreme grief into her music that is you know like socially unacceptable in america you know yeah and just went you know she just went wild and you know it's like any little you know it's like i was playing around with songs that i thought were like kind of dark and yeah. he's like, and I was surrounded by a lot of really twee musicians at the time. You know, it's like I was spending my summers in Olympia, Washington. I was a big Microphones fan. I loved the K Records people, and I like I would go to their shows, and they'd be, and I'd be like, I write songs, and and like they would be singing these happy little twee things, <laughs> and then I would be like, blah, death, and they would be like, whoa, dude, you can't do that. Like you can't bring that energy into the world. No bad days, no bad dreams. You know, yeah. like, watch out what you're channeling. And I would be like, catharsis is good. You know, like this is like, this is what heals me. I'm sorry if your life is uh, so happy all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but, but like, this is what I need to feel good. And yeah. um, when, um, yeah, then like when I heard Diamante Glass, I was like, whoa, I'm not dark. That's dark. Right. You know? And, and then it just gave me permission to like, to sing whatever I wanted to sing. Yeah, and I mean, so. Harpoon has definitely has a wilderness to it. Um, even the, especially the title track, I could I can see what you what you're talking about there. Um, but that's so interesting to think about, like when you hear something that gives you permission to do what you thought you couldn't do. Um, I guess that's just sort of the effect, though, of of hearing or or, or keying into something so new to you that you just had never realized could exist like her or like the Bulgarian choir music. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing with the Bulgarian choruses is that they, they use dissonance really well. Mm -hmm. You know, they're singing a lot of major seconds, minor seconds, even they're singing quarter tones. So they're, mm. they're singing, you know, harmonies that are like so close together that, you know, 
here we just, you know, we think that it sounds wrong, but when it becomes a part of the form, you know, and you get used to it, your ear gets used to it, then it just becomes amazing. You know, you're just like, uh, it brings an emotional depth to the music where it's like the switch from something that is dissonant to something that is like more traditionally consonant, harmonious is ecstatic. Yeah. It's just like, it just, it's broader. It's really good music. I'll have to look it up. (laughs) I'm excited now. Um, So would you say that that's something that often inspires your work is, is that sort of dissonance or grief or just those sort of dark emotions? Like, is that where you sort of pull a lot of your lyricism from typically, or has that changed over time? I think it's, you know, it's, it's kind of like, uh, I I can relate a lot to comedians, you know, like, like, it's sort of like, (laughs) You go, um, my ex-husband, my kid's dad is a comedian. And um, I think it's the same, you know, like sometimes my songs are funny and silly. Oh yeah, they definitely are sometimes. And I'm just like this, and that's, you know, it's like, but it's often just like a, it's kind of like taking a situation and chewing it up and making it more palatable or you know sing like taking a like a situation that is full of grief and singing it in a beautiful way so that it feels better you know it's kind of it's all about making it more beautiful making it better like dealing with things that are hard to deal with and um sometimes the way that i deal with a a thing that's hard to deal with is i make it silly you know it's like uh if you take whatever is the like your darkest thought you know like think about what are the the terrible things that you say to yourself like you know when you think that you're a failure or you're not good enough um and you just like are being mean to yourself if you take that voice and then you just speak it like a little cartoon voice and like turn it into a silly character then it takes away its power yeah so I think that has been a lot of like, uh, that's a healing process for me is you take something that's plaguing you and torturing you and you turn it into a silly song and you laugh at it. Um, yeah, it's like ridiculing the thing that was was tormenting you to try to remove its its power over you a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Or you take something like, you know, I mean, I grew up queer in the Southeast in the middle of the Bible Belt and was shamed for for my sexuality you know from the time I was 10 until I escaped from there when I was 18 Mm -hmm. and uh you know you take you take those things also like that people are trying it's like you take the things that people are trying to shame you for and you make them like big and orchestrate them into some big song you know and uh then you're not and like and you're just like ha, this is me. I'm not ashamed of this at all. You know, like that also, like it takes the, the power of the shame away. So I think that's a lot of, um, what my music is about too, is like that I'm trying to liberate myself from these, these like dark forces and 
the song is is taking the power away from the darkness you know so Mm -hmm. it's not like a it's not really a dark song you know it's it's like designed to make me feel good and i hope that it makes other people feel good too well sometimes catharsis or or cathartic songs even if they were inspired or they're about something dark the song itself ends up not feeling that way because of the catharsis. So if someone's listening, they might feel that. And that relief is usually a positive thing. So I would imagine if you're singing about something dark, just sort of that expulsion of it can be relieving more than depressing or, 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 or casting you down. Speaking, speaking a secret gives it less power, you know? Yeah. It's like the, you could like, it's the, I've learned a lot through, you know, just like dealing with my own traumas, you know, I have a fantastic therapist right now. And, and she's been confirming all these things for me lately. It's just sort of like, oh, you know, like you've been on, you've been on a good path this whole time. Like, you know how to take care of yourself and uh, like keeping secrets is bad. Yeah, it's, uh, Don't do it's it. pretty toxic. <laughs> Everybody should yeah. write a song. It doesn't, you know, you don't have to put it on a record label or like, you know, release it into the world if you don't want to. But like, take the stuff that's scaring you and, and turn it into a song and like, sing it when things are getting dark. It's a good tool. Yeah, yeah it, it, it can definitely be therapeutic in that sense. Um, were you always a, like? Do you were you always a songwriter? Do you remember writing songs when you were little, or was that a later thing? Um, yeah, I wrote lots of songs when I was a little kid. My dad is a songwriter too, so oh, okay. and my mom is you know sings lots of folk songs. She's got a great memory for folk songs, um, and so it was a big part of our family culture to sing and it didn't feel like I was doing anything, you know, like it wasn't like I was like, Oh, I'm going to do stuff now. I'm going to be an artist now or something. It just was like, this is how we live our lives is like, we make up songs about what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So when did you realize or decide that that was going to be sort of your, you know, quote unquote official like path in your life? Um, or I guess what inspired you to start, you know, making set albums? Well, it's probably when, when I was, um, like, playing with my boyfriend at the time, Dave Longstress, who was in The Dirty Projectors. Mm-hmm. And he was really mean to me about my music, you know? Like, he was really like, I'm the artist, you know, you are the backup singer, Like, Mm. I am just, you know, like, it was like, I'm the genius and you are not. And you should just stick to supporting me because I'm going places. And I was not satisfied with that at all. I was just like, what? (laughs) Like, what is this? We had a very different approach to music. You know, like he had, he did, you know, he had a lot of training, um, like classical training. And so that was intimidating and it was really amazing that he could just, you know, he could take something in his head and write it down on a piece of paper and hand it out to an orchestra and they could all play it. You know, yeah. that was, that was really cool. Um, but I always felt that I had better stories 
And I knew I had better stories when he started writing my stories into his songs. I was like, oh, like now you're going to take my story? You know what I mean? And I was just like, no. yeah. And I like, I got out of there. And I was like, you, were, huh? you took your stories and left. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't blame you. That was it. Basically, like, the minute the minute he started taking my story, I I was out of there. And I was like, this is worth, my story is is worth telling. And no one can tell it but me. And I'm going to have to use whatever tools I have to do it. And um, that, and like, I, you know, like I didn't play a lot of instruments when I was first starting out. And I think that was actually great. That was actually really freeing hmm. to just, to just go for it with, you know, like the experience that I had watching a composer at work to, you know, like to know how it's like, okay, I know how composition happens. I can't write it down, but I've got garage band on my computer and I can just sing it into the computer. And I like, I have a voice that can do a lot of things. So I'll just, the things I would do with instruments, I'll just do with my voice. And um, then I just started working with textures, you know, and I was, I was studying painting at the time and thinking a lot about texture and color. And I thought of the instrumentation as just that, it's just texture and color. And it doesn't matter if I can like play the supposed right notes, you know? A lot of what I was doing was just playing a drone, like playing one note and having a song that's just one chord, you know? Like you work with what you've got. Yeah, that sort of reminds me of, um, a little bit anyway, of when I first was getting into um, Tune Yards music when she released her first album I, I, I got it on on vinyl and it came with this little card that basically just said hey I made this all on audacity with a crappy microphone so you know if, if I can make this then don't feel hindered by the tools you think you're limited by it's just sort of just you have to realize what your tools are and use them to their fullest extent. So if you felt like you didn't have this huge deep well of, you know, technical training, I could see how for some people that might be dis, you know, it might dissuade them from, from trying to record something, but sometimes you just kind of have to lean into what you have. I think. Yeah, absolutely. If you're trying to like make something and you're around some expert who starts telling you that you need to know all these things and and you can't do it, stay away from that person. Get away from them. <laughs> That's toxic. That's very yeah, harmful. Definitely. I can and imagine, like, yeah. You know, I can't even count how many people I've met who are classically trained, who cannot make up a single thing. You know, they cannot improvise three notes. They have crippling anxiety the minute that there's not, you know, sheet music in front of them and yeah. that's a terrible way to be and they and they know it you know and a lot of people who study really hard in music school end up giving up their instruments and never touching them again you know and like and turning their back completely on music and that's because their voice has been taken away from them and they've just been turned into technicians and they don't like it it doesn't feel good you know like we all have a story to tell and I'm hoping, like, you know, I think music education is changing a lot. Um, I'm, you know, I teach songwriting to kids now. And mm. they have, like, kids have access to so many different resources. Um, 
you know, through the internet that we didn't have when we were little. So yeah. they know that there are options now, you know, but I mean, it's like, like, what can you do like with a classically trained pianist to turn them into a composer if they weren't taught that, that their voice matters? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You can try dosing them with a lot of ayahuasca. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, sometimes that works. Just does the trick. <laughs> Give the entire New York Philharmonic ayahuasca and see what happens. I, that's that's what I want to have happen after COVID nineteen is done. Yeah, just like let the take the reins off of all these people who are so <laughs> stuck in their own heads. Basically, yeah. um, so I want to talk briefly, anyway, about your fourth record which i think is your fourth record soul retrieval Mm -hmm. um the reason i want to talk about this one is because i think i had started following your work when the last tree came out i forget how i even found it i mean that was like before there were a zillion blogs but um somehow i found it and i really liked it and then parpolar came out a few years later and then soul retrieval felt so so different. And I, I, va- I have this vague memory of reading a press release of you calling it gothic R&B. <laughs> I don't know if you actually said that or if I made that up. Um, but I kind of wanted to talk about if you, if that was a deliberate sort of shift, because in my ears, soul retrieval felt very different, not at all in a bad way, but felt very different from your first three records and maybe even more uplifting in a way. I don't know if, if, if you'd agree with that or not. (laughs) Um, yeah, well, I mean, I was just, I was in a really good place in that, you know, when I was making that record, it's, I had just, um, you know, I had, I'd made two records on my own. That's like Harpoon and The Last Tree. And then I signed with a record label, um, for Parplar and had the experience of, you know, like a producer trying to shape my image, like, you know, what I looked like, what I sounded like, how I Mm. recorded. Um, And, you know, it was like a person who was really very abusive, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I, like... What, you know, it's like I went through with the whole process of like making the record and I like took a lot of like, I took a lot of abuse in making that record. Um, but I had a vision and I wanted to get it done and I wanted to try it. And I like thought, you know, maybe it was like, yeah, maybe this could be a mainstream thing. Like, all right, I'm going to like, I'll make a few compromises and see if this like music career works out. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately that was a really devastating experience and messed with, it really messed with me. And when I like finally was free of my like recording contract, um, I made Soul Retrieval and that record was more like the record that I wa- had wanted to make, you know, mm. and it was like, there were a few songs on it that Michael Girard had said, like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not into this. I don't like this. Or like, you know, like, I don't understand why you want to write a song about this. Um, 
and then you know then there was a lot of new material that I had written that was kind of like about the experience of getting someone off your back who's a vampire you know <laughs> yeah and that was the second time I did it you know I mean it's sort of like I also really love Harpoon which I made um in in the same situation where you know I was just free from the dirty projectors and able to do what I wanted and sure, yeah. really like reveling in that being able to do whatever I wanted to do so um that yeah that like I just I felt very free and I had some money from you know going on a lot of tours and I was mm -hmm. able to work with the people that I wanted to work with and, and pay them. And, you know, when you like, I, I highly recommend um, if you are a woman that you go into a recording studio and you write all the checks, you know, mm. you write all the checks. Don't let some dude do it for you. <laughs> like, yeah. Make sure everybody knows you're writing the checks because then they're going to listen to you when sure, you say, yeah. when you say, I want more strings on this, <laughs> like, then they're not going to say, ah, what do you, you know, why would you do that? You know, when you say, I want to double my voice, then they're not going to say, it sounds fine. Just one or like, whatever it is. They're just going to question you less. And like, you know, it's, it's it's a challenge as a woman having people take you seriously having people believe that you're competent you know it's it's a, yeah. it's hard not to be second guessed or to have people take your ideas as their own um and it really helps if you can be writing the checks yeah so you know i paid for that album i paid everybody on that album and um i got it exactly the way i wanted it I just wish that it was out on vinyl because I because we recorded it totally analog. You know, we recorded it to two inch tape, and I've got like the tape masters, but I was only able to like, afford to put it out on CD. And I know uh, that would that would sound beautiful. That one would sound beautiful on vinyl. Yeah, it, I mean, it was meant to to never go to digital to just be a pure analog thing. Yeah, I feel like you can hear that openness though. Totally. Like even from the very beginning, that first song on the album, there is just sort of a lightness or an, an airiness to the arrangements that um, I think reflects that, especially now that I'm aware of, of that. I think that's definitely evident. And I feel like maybe is that what the title of the record sort of refers to, too? Like you retrieving your own soul? Yeah, it's a, like... Um soul retrieval is a specific ceremony that like in... Quechua shamanism that you do if you have basically it's like the idea is if you have trauma you've lost your soul you know mm. like every time you endure something like every time your body endures something that your soul doesn't dig your soul escapes and it, it's like mm. uh -uh, I'm not staying here you know it's sort of like this like um there's a concept in, in Western psychology that's, that's similar also, where it's just sort of like det you detach from reality and you kind of escape. Um, so soul retrieval is basically a ceremony that you do to call back in all of the pieces of your soul that, that you've lost. And like you make a promise, you know, you're like, hey, if you come back, 
I'm going to treat you better. I'm going to make sure that you don't get hurt. You know, I'm going to not do stuff that, that is like anathema to your existence. I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm going to be good. (laughs) You know, I'm going to be me. I'm going to be true to myself. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting to hear because I, I, I do feel like that is sort of evident in, in the music on that record. Um, and then your last record, Chasing an Illusion, is your fifth, I want to say. I don't, there wasn't one in between those two, right? Um, Am I completely no, forgetting? No, no. I've done a lot of like <laughs> little, no, I've done a lot of like little sort of side records and things, but, okay. but, as, but as far as like a pure Larkin Grimm record, no, that was Chasing Illusion was, was right after Did that. Did that one, was that one also one where you felt like you had complete creative control? Yeah, but I didn't have as much money. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> but that's okay because I mean, it must feel really, really, really good to be able to get a record finished and know that from top to bottom it was what you wanted to do. Yeah, it is great. It's really great. I like. Um, I'm so I'm like so happy that I've been able to do that in my life, you know, because there are so yeah. many incredibly talented artists out there who really haven't had the chance to do that. Yeah. And it's, you know, like, listen to yourself, you know, it's really hard. I and mean, it's especially like, it's especially like, um, I think it's especially important for anyone who's like from a marginalized group of people, you know, someone who grows up being questioned and being told that they are wrong and their thoughts are wrong or their urges are wrong, you know, um, or that there's something wrong with them. You know, like, I mean, if you're raised to think there's something wrong with you, then it's really hard to trust your instincts with something. And if someone that you admire questions you and suggests something different, it's just almost second nature to say, okay, I'll try that. You must be right. You know, to just sort of acquiesce to whatever they say. Yeah. So it's really important to protect yourself, you know, to know, to know that you're vulnerable as an artist, you know, like, and like, okay, you're, you're, you're open and vulnerable and you might not need as much help as people say you do, you know, people see an artist and, and they're like, Oh, that's beautiful. I want a part of that. I want to be in that, you know, and they want to get involved. And that, that's feels good to your ego when people want to get involved with your project. But yeah. if you're a really sensitive person, sometimes you should just go it alone and just go with your instincts, you know? Yeah. And it feels like over the course of your discography, I mean, I don't think you've ever to my ears, you've never been someone who, who completely ignores those instincts, but to hear you talk about sort of shedding that worry of what other people are, are implying or directly telling you to do, um, you can kind of see that because with chase, um, with soul retrieval, it was in the arrangements, it was in the sound, it was in the mood. And then with chasing an illusion, I felt like that was your least diluted album yet. Um, Like it just felt so completely from your mind and your life experience, especially lyrically. Um, Just sort of 
free and able to write what you what you want to write. Well, thanks. I mean, I feel like it's evident as a listener. And thanks I mean, I've, for noticing. I've, 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 you know, I've listened to your music for a while. Um, I mean, we've, I suppose we should say, this is not the first time I've spoken to you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, my whole point with this podcast is that I'm getting, I and hopefully listeners too, are getting to quote unquote meet, you know, artists. Um, but I have spoken to you at least twice, actually, because I think the first time one of my friends was at your show um, in Boston and, um, and called it was me. Your, it was, was this when it was your birthday? I think it might have been my birthday because I think I remember that she called me and she was like, I have something for you. <laughs> um, and then she must have to tossed you the phone. I don't know. But it was very, very nice of you to talk to me. And I don't remember what we talked about, except that I do recall I mentioned that the one time I, in my conscious concert going life, you had come to Connecticut and I couldn't go because it, it had snowed. And... Mm. You said it, you still played. And I, I do remember you told me that there were like, it felt like there were like religious people that showed up <laughs> <laughs> and you weren't sure why, but they did. And so you played a show. Um, well, Connecticut is filled with Puritans, you know, they, they've forgotten, sure. <laughs> they've forgotten that they're Puritans, but they still act like it. <laughs> sure. Um, so I thought that was really funny. I must've been like, how I must've been like 18 or something. If she was in Boston already, I must've been turning 18 and then, yeah, the second time I talked to you, I was walking around a Walmart. <laughs> and all I remember is that you, I think you asked if I had been listening to anything recently. And I mentioned the, the new um, Throwing Muses record. Oh, yeah. um, of course, I remember these things because it's not every day that you know, someone you're a fan of just like talks to you on the phone. Um, but it's very nice to be able to talk to you at length for once. Um, so thank you for joining me for this chat. Um, I've been having fun doing this. So I'm, I'm glad that people are agreeing. I'm glad you agreed to talk to me. <laughs> yeah, well, it's been really nice. I've got a 3 p.m. Um, kid's birthday party via Zoom that I need to attend. Cute. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, okay, so really fast in the last like 30 seconds. Um, What's something that you are listening to, watching, or reading in this quarantine time? If anything, or do you have no time for artistic? Um, <laughs> well, no, I mean, I have, I, yeah, I have time. Um, I've been getting back into Dylan. I feel okay. like it's nice. He just has so many insights about human nature, you know? It's like he's speaking as an outsider. And sometimes I think he might be a psychopath, you know? Sometimes I'm like, <laughs> Bob Dylan doesn't actually care about anyone, you know? But mm -hmm. he know he understands so much. It's kind of, it's almost like he's just, it's almost like he doesn't get involved with people. So he's got this incredible objectivity. Um, so that's been nice. And I've been, you know, my friend, Sam James, whose music is kind of Dylan-esque, has been performing his songs on Instagram every day. So I watch his videos of him singing and playing guitar with these brilliant songs. He's kind of like, you know, he's really into the Silver Jews, mm -hmm. you know, and um, like Stephen Malkmus fan and um, like also like 
he's he's the person who introduced me to the whole freak folk scene. He made me a mixtape when we were oh, in college. Okay. Um, but his music is great, Sam James. He's like uh-huh. uh, nobody nobody like knows who he is outside of a small community of um, like the anti folk people who he mm-hmm. was friend. He, you know, he kind of grew up in that scene. Um, but he's a brilliant songwriter, um, and I've been watching this like TV show about uh, ultra orthodox Jews in Israel. Oh wait, I, what's that called? I've been meaning to watch it. Oh, it's, I'm like, what, it's what is it called again? It's it's pretty new, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh man. Am I wrong Diesel in thinking it's just called? Oh, okay. I was thinking of a different one. Isn't there one that's just called like unorthodox or something? Um. Yeah, I watched that also. That was also really good. Okay. But this other one, it's a it's a whole it's a two seasons of a of a show. It's from Israel, mm-hmm. and it's really good. Um, and I've been meaning to get into those. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's like it's it's as deep as The Sopranos was. You know, this is like really good television. Mm, I know television's really good these days. <laughs> yeah, it's called Stiesel. S H T I S E L. Okay, I'll You're have gonna to add love it to it. my list. The I think hottest, I will love it. <laughs> it's like the hottest guys. And they're all like, and they're all super orthodox and weird. (laughs) Well, on that note, (laughs) thank you so much for talking to me. It's been a pleasure chatting with you today. All right. It's been really lovely talking to you too. Thank you for calling. Yeah. Thank you for calling me. Have a good, uh, have a good Zoom party. (laughs) All right. Bye. Take care. Mm -hmm.